Hi, everybody, and welcome one more time to El Camino People, the podcast. You know, we always talk about Camino. We always talk about pilgrims, pilgrimage from all over the world. But today we're going to be doing something different. Most of the times we talk about the stories of the pilgrims that already walk the Camino. But today we have a first-time pilgrim and a long-time pilgrim that has been walking all over the place. And we are going to talk about the, those questions that raise up when you are getting ready to walk your Camino Santiago, those mistakes that you make those little things that people share that sometimes are wrong sometimes are right so let me introduce you to my longtime friend quinton and my new friend rebecca how are you doing guys thank you so much for being today for the ones that don't know quinton is right now in la it's 1 a.m and rebecca's in australia so this seems you know it's incredible how long the camino is and this community is all over the world good morning good morning <sighs> Wow, really talkative today. <laughs> so, first question, um, Rebecca is going to be the new pilgrim. This is going to be your first Camino. How did you decide to walk the Camino Santiago? Why did you choose to walk the Camino Santiago? Yeah, so I've had a few friends uh, do it probably about around 10 years ago now and always been interested in it, but just hasn't been the right timing with kids and all those other life things that get in the way. So started researching about five years ago and actually found one of uh, Quentin's books that he'd written um, about his, I think it was your first Camino, is that right? It was my first one, yes. Sorry, yeah. I just decided to wake up at 1am in the morning. <laughs> um, and that really inspired me. So he really writes, um, you really feel as if you're there with him, the way the book's written. Um, so I was really inspired again. Uh, unfortunately, then COVID hit and not sure what it was like for other parts of the world, but we couldn't leave our suburbs in Melbourne. So really locked up for a couple of years, really. Um, so coming out of COVID, um, kids have finished school. I now have more flexibility with work and it was just the right timing. And after being locked up for so long, really wanted to do something different and challenge myself. So yeah, so now's the time. That's perfect. And for the ones that don't know, Quinton, he's been here a couple of times. We'll be talking about your first Camino that they can listen on the previous podcast. We'll be talking about gear. But tell us a little bit, Quinton, how did you decide to walk the Camino? Was that your first long distance hike? Were there previous long distance hikes? I've been a hiker and a traveler pretty well all my life. So it was probably my first long hike, although I've done like week-long backpacking trips, trekking a couple of weeks here and there. Nothing that probably hit over like 500 kilometres, but it was certainly a bucket list item that I just couldn't not do. It was calling me. I think that you hear that a lot. One of the things that surprised me the most, you know, I live in Spain, like right here in front of my window, you know, the Camino goes through the front of my house. I see pilgrims almost every day with a backpack. I'm like, here you are, guys, you know, from Australia, from Australia living in the States and decide to walk the Camino de Santiago. I'm like, this is incredible. Like the story of the people that carries and that go through the Camino is just amazing. But there is much more to this story, you know, because you guys been known each other for a long time, but the Camino kind of like ruinated reunited your your both Camino so what happened there yeah that's right we um used to know each other oh gosh way back in the 1990s um and then kind of went out separate ways um someone you know abandoned us and moved to a whole different country <laughs> um so yeah it was only when I um started googling sort of books and about the Camino and this name came up and I thought mm, it's a bit of an unusual name um, so yeah, reached out via email and I've been hassling him ever since with my random questions and, um, it's been amazing with all, no matter what I come out with, he's yeah, been incredibly patient with all my questions and. Are you, are you um, talking about me or is there someone else similar? I know. He's very modest. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's been pretty amazing. I get this email out of the blue after maybe like. 20 years 25 20. years um and i think we just kind of reconnected over the stories and the, the preparation and rebecca's been planning it for about five years and things get in the way like life does usually and i'm so excited because it's only what less than two months now that you're actually going so. 54 days <laughs> wow who's counting 
little app on my phone that, you know, tells me, gives me daily update. And that's one of the things that, you know, that surprised me a lot, like how long do people plan for the Camino? Now, you know, now with COVID, with the whole world situation that we're living, like when did you start your planning for your Camino, Rick? What was the first day that you said, you know, I'm going to walk the Camino? It was probably pre-COVID. Um, so my daughter finished school and as a parent, you sort of have this weird time, then they kind of get their license and they leave school and you just, I don't know, you kind of feel a bit like not unneeded, but you, your life just changes. And I suddenly had time to myself and also work circumstances change. So that's a big thing because it's such a big commitment. You need, you know, coming from Australia, you need that six weeks to do the full walk. So for me trying to get that six weeks was my biggest challenge. Um, so, yeah, as soon as those international borders opened up, I was back planning again, full full planning. Like there was no going back. And that's one of the things that sometimes, Quentin, and you're, I know you're a planner, but not like a full-time planner. But right now with all the information that you have online, with all the amount of books that we have online, and with all the amount of pilgrims that they have like three, four or five years to plan the Camino, is there the option of too much planning for the Camino or it's never too much planning? I think the logistics planning of getting there and leaving, yes, spend some time doing it and maybe your first day think about it. But I'm a big advocate of don't book accommodation, especially on the Francis. Just go with how you feel. You might meet some people. You might not be feeling strong yet. Just go with the flow. And what about you, Rebecca? Are you one of those persons that needs to have an Excel sheet with where I'm going to stay, the numbers, the places, how much does it cost? Do you really have an Excel sheet with all the places? I don't. I don't. That's, that is my nature to do that. Um, so this is really outside my comfort zone to be going to, um, you know, overseas by myself and not have things planned out goes against everything that I would normally do. So this is really about getting outside my comfort zone and I'm really resisting every urge not to book anything else. So I booked the first couple of nights and that's it. And that's one of the best things, things, especially about the Francis, because you really don't need to do it. It's not like a backcountry hike where you've got to plan your food supplies and those type of activities here. You can, there's a cafe pretty well every five kilometers if you feel like a break. And that's one thing, you know, I, I get a lot of people, they feel, you know, as you were saying, you know, sometimes unsafe, sometimes they need to plan. And and if you need to, it's okay. And, you know, as Quinton was in, you know, probably Spain is, Spain was one of the f- safest places, you know, by National Geographic to travel by yourself as a woman. And the Camino Frances is the, probably the most well, you know, every five kilometers you have a town, there is a, you know, police, there is hotels, there's everything. But I know that a lot of people, they really need that, you know, kind of like, reassurance that there is a place that I'm going to be able to sleep. So if you need that, it's okay. But really, as Quinton was saying, you know, get your first days and we will talk about the latest day, but don't plan too much. And yeah. question for I you, really Rebecca. It's a big part for me not to do that. It's mm-hmm. a real challenge. So I really want to like make that my challenge not to do that. And it's hard because there's a lot of, um, particularly on the online forums, there's a lot of talk about how busy it is and how full they're all going to be. And there's this sort of underlying fear that everything's mm-hmm. going to be full. Um, so it, it is really hard to ignore that and, and put it off to the side and try and just go with the flow. I find those forums usually are mostly people who haven't been before that are asking questions. So. Yeah, and they get nasty. <laughs> oh, don't get me going about that. I, I don't go with any of them again because that's the thing. You know, a lot of people there's like, I want to have my backpack transfer. I'm like, and people are like, don't do that. I'm like, he's not asking doing it or not. He's asking how he can do it. How? Yeah. Or some people want to sleep in hotels and people are like, don't sleep in hotels. I'm like, he wants to sleep in hotels. It's okay. There's nothing wrong on everything. This is your own Camino. But people seem to be a little judgmental. And, you know, that's the big question. What is a pilgrim? A pilgrim is one that doesn't go on forums and start complaining to other pilgrims. But I think that gets us to, you know, one of the main questions when you walk the Camino, and it's accommodations. And so for some people, that's a big problem because getting to know how, you know, the accommodations work in the Camino. We have the albergues, the private albergues, the hotel, the hostels, the paradores. We have a wide arrangement, and most in the Camino Frances, you can go from spending 10 euros to up to as much as you want on the Camino. 
So what were your ideas on, on where do you want to sleep, Rebecca, when you're walking? I plan to do a mix. Um, I am someone who likes my own space um, and I am a light sleeper and someone who needs their sleep. So I will try <laughs> different options and see what works um, for me. Uh, very open to anything. So that's where I'm really just trying to go with the flow and see how it all rolls out. Um, I might hate it. I, I'm not sure how I'm going to go with um, sharing space with a lot of other people. Um, well, you're going to have I a know. lot of fun on the Camino. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're not like someone who loves a lot of people and sharing space and things either. So I, I, I'm assuming that's outside your comfort zone as well. Have you, did you struggle with that? I, I'm pretty antisocial. That's why I got into hiking yeah. in, in the first place for sure. <laughs> and yes, sometimes the other guys are a little bit too much. And every now and again, like I'll look forward to like when I get to Burgos, I'll have a hotel room or something so I can have that space. So especially after like the longer hikes, any of them, I do get a little tired of like the hostels or albergues, but there is something, something special about the time before you go to bed. Like in the common room, there's a guitar you can play. People are telling stories in different languages and from different parts of the world. And that part of like, the hostel kind of world is just the best part of my experience. And that's one of the things that, you know, that I try to get at, I get a lot of clients like you, Rebecca, you know, that they need to try their time, you know, they're professionals that be working hard. This is a once in a lifetime experience. And, and I get, you know, some people that really need their sleep. Some people for them, it's going to be once in a lifetime and you deserve a good, you know, night of sleep. But as Kinton was saying <clears throat> right now with private albergues, you have the experience, you know, maybe you can have your own private room or have a small room where you can, you know, sleep better and have the vibe of both of walls and and also sometimes there is a couple of donativos that they're a must you know sometimes sleeping on the floor is worth a million hotels and i will trade any parador for sleeping in some of the albergues what are the albergues that you think quinton that they are mandatory on the front there so places that you have to stop no matter what and i know the one you're probably talking about is in granon granon that's I, a once I in a lifetime experience i have a whole nother story about that one <laughs> that's go for it that's an interesting story by itself it was actually on my first camino that um someone that i'd met and we'd been walking together it was raining and pouring and we'd heard amazing things about um, this donativo in granon so we we came into town it was pouring we were looking around we we couldn't find where this albergue was and literally like out of the shadows and lightning cracking this this old man who looked kind of like a wizard and we kind of figured he was a pilgrim appeared and like said oh i'm going to the the albergue as well follow me and so we followed him up the stairs and as i was kind of going up the stairs to the main entrance i had this like strange feeling that something bad was going to happen or something was wrong and i got to the the doorstep of going inside the albergue and i looked at my friend and i was like i can't stay here there's something wrong and she looked at me and said i have exactly the same feeling so we got the hell out of there and went to the next town, which is about four or five kilometers away. Halfway through, the rain cleared, a rainbow came out, and just this, like, weight lifted off us. And then we heard a few days later that that gentleman that we followed in ended up, like, starting a fight or stealing things in the albergue. And we just had this strange sense of foreboding that something was wrong, and it ended up not being the albergue. It ended up being that, that individual that stayed there. So that is one of those things that I will never forget that feeling that I could tell something was going to be wrong. The ones that I don't know, Granon is an albergue that is on the top of a little tower. So you have kind of like two places for pilgrims to sleep on the floor, but they have a communal dinner. It's one of those magic places that at night also they go to church and they have like a praying serving time. So it's one of those places that, you know, doesn't matter where you're from, where you, why you're walking, they, you feel the Camino community and the Camino family there. And I've stayed there other years and it's been great. So it's definitely not the albergue. It was that individual for sure. But to your question, I think I found that like the pure like municipals and donativos, I didn't really enjoy those. They were okay. Depends on the people, but generally like the quality of the space and everything is a little lower than say a, a private albergue that's maybe a few dollars more. And for someone like me that often 
works and travels all play a little bit more for a little bit more space, Wi-Fi, that type of convenience. And so I always end up staying at the private albergues. They just seem to suit me better. So. Also, you know, one of the misconceptions, a lot of people they think private albergues as a business, but some of them, they are, you know, Camino lovers that decided to stay in the Camino, you know, build a, a way of living there. And some of them are incredible. I'm like, I have um, incredible friends that run albergues and you felt like family. And some of the public ones that you were saying, sometimes they're run by city halls or whatever, and they're sometimes really yeah. left behind. But, and, good, and what is your thought is about... Oh, Good sorry, go ahead. Um, Casa Suzy is a Casa Susi, amazing of course. Run, yeah, Australian, of course, so, running yeah. from the Australian people. And Pamplona, mm -hmm. you know, Fermin is from Pamplona. Beautiful love story. If you never heard about them, we have a beautiful interview with them, but that's one of the mandatory places to stay also. And the other thing that I found, for whatever reason, the vegetarian albergues along the way have a really, really good communal vibe. And there's... Um, There's one, I think it's, uh, I think it's Casa Verde. Casa in, Verde, um, yep. Hospitalia de, de Abrigo. Yep, it's really, really good. It's just got a really cool kind of hippie communal vibe and they're just a little bit more on the hippie side, the, the vegetarian ones, but the food is amazing. The people are really good and the atmosphere is just amazing. All There's like three or four that I can remember along the way that vegetarian ones are always really good. So. And Rebecca, this is your first time in Spain? Yes, And, you know, that gets me to the other thing. Like once you travel all the way across the world, I'm like, you're spending a good chunk of money. Also, there is great hotels here in Spain that you're going to be able to find anywhere else. You know, we have the Paradores. We have really mm -hmm. small, great hotels that are a little boutique. So what are your thoughts, Quentin, on, on sometimes giving yourself, you know, that relaxed day in a really nice bed? I'm all for it. I find that after about 10 days in an albergue, I need a little bit of private space and just people to leave me the hell alone so I can kind of recharge again. So I'll usually try and do it in Burgos is a good one. Um, just, there's a hotel right on the left side of the cathedral that you open your window and you see the whole cathedral. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Those ones are really good. The other thing that I have found, though, is sometimes if you're going to take a day off, always take a day off and have a hotel because then you have the whole day to enjoy it, have a shower, do those type of things. But sometimes having a day off in a hotel in a small town is really good. I think my first Camino, I didn't stop at Burgos, but I stayed an extra day in uh, Hontanas. And that's such a beautiful, tiny mm -hmm. little Camino town that it was just a There's great nothing to do other than just being with yourself. Yeah, it was nice. So that's the mix. Uh, days off. So someone that is going on the first Camino, Rebecca, have you planned for any day off? So really your time is so concerned that you don't have any time for day off. I have I've probably got three or four days along the way. So I haven't picked specific places yet, but definitely factored in a few days. And I know I'll need, as you're just saying, sort of once, probably once a week, I will need that night just by myself, have the good shower, wash the hair, all those important things. Um, and just have that, that time to recharge. And um, what you've talked about before, you were saying the atmosphere at nights um, sounds amazing. And I, really want to be part of that so i don't want to stay at hotels all the time um so i really probably once a week i'm allowing myself to to do that that's probably a good mix and we we did this thing maybe a couple of months ago that we kind of did a virtual camino remember yeah. rebecca we were like oh where are you today and you you kind of realize that 30 days or however long it's going to take you is a really long time so it, a day a week in a hotel or whatever is is a really smart idea so. it is and also the price that. as you were saying it's not that expensive I'm like there's really nice hotels depending on the time that you know sometimes even if you find someone else or you want to say with a lot of people like oh hotels are so expensive I'm like sometimes can be double what a private albergue it's not really that big of a difference as you were saying before private to public albergue the difference sometimes is two three euros and it goes from here to here so and almost It's not uncommon, I found, instead of booking on, like, booking.com, go to a hotel, especially the smaller ones, and ask if they have pilgrim rates, and they usually give you 20% off. Yeah. And always, you know, if even if you look on, on booking, go search for the number. Booking usually gets around 10%, 15%. So, you know, hotels will be super happy if you book with them instead of with booking. If you tell them, you know, sometimes they will if you give you a, a better rate. Excellent. 
And what are your thing, Quentin, when you walk in the Camino Frances, you're coming all the way across the world. What are the places that someone should, you know, take a day off or visit or take a little longer time on those places? That's pretty hard because I think that's an individual thing as well. Pamplona is a beautiful city. Of course. For me and my pace, I'm never there to stay like at a, an appropriate time to stay the night. So I think it depends a lot on space. Um, I think Burgos is a good place to stay. The city is not so big that you get lost in it and you're about to hit the Maceta, which is is pretty barren for a lot of people. I really like Astorga and I'm forgetting the name of the town at the bottom of the mountain from... Molina Seca? Yeah, Yep, with the uh, the waterfall, or the the rushing water, and that's a beautiful yeah. town. I love staying there for sure. And um, why am I forgetting the first town in Galicia at the top of the mountain? Sobrero. Oh, Sobrero. Yeah, that's a beautiful place too. I I would stay there too. So. Yeah. What makes them different to other? What makes them stand out? I'm a big history buff, so if there's some story of history or something unique architecturally about it, that will really draw me. Like Molinseca, there's there's a big, fast-flowing river that you go across. Uh, Sobrero has this, like, rocky arc, um, structure of all their buildings made out of, like, stone, and it's very, very Celtic all of a sudden, so it feels Also different. the place where the Camino, as the community is right now, was born, and, like, Elias Valinha, the priest that started painting the arrows, is buried there so there's a lot of mystical and also there's a lot of you know history of about the the grill being there there's that kind of like celtic vibe and if you stay the night it's incredible it's one of those places but for example in osebrero you have to book because it's this such a small accommodations that if you want to stay in your own room there's one of those places that you have to call in advance yeah although i did i think one year i did stay in the municipal it's one of the good ones two, but it gets yeah oh you did they, they allowed you uh, it was kind of on the shoulder season, so it was okay. So. Oh, okay. And we well, continue. Really, I'm sorry to interrupt. But oh, no, no, no go I'm ahead. Like, sorry. And what tells me I have to do this is every time I start talking about it, and even with our little messages back and forth, I get this like buzz as soon as I start talking about it. I get so excited, just feel this buzz that just like I have to do it. That's and it's happening like now. It's part of this conversation, but. Even someone will ask me what I'm doing and I just get this feeling and I just, I don't know, maybe that's the calling people talk about, but it's, yeah, I can like feel it now. I'm like, yeah, Remember that halfway through day one when you're going up the I Pyrenees and, and you're cursing us all. It's like, why the hell did you make me do this? So. I do feel you're going to block me like day one when I start <laughs> whinging. <laughs> You'll be like, sorry, busy, busy for the next 30 days. No, no, I am. But it's really strange. I am so looking forward to it. It's like, I... I think I've done six, seven Caminos now, and I'm still chasing the experience of the very first Camino. So. I think that's something that we all carry, and that's why we know. Usually, you know, there's, they say that around 50% of the people that walks one Camino gets back and again and again and again. And, you know, here we are as example. I'm like, we just walk. This can be the Camino Santiago, it can be any other Caminos, but there is something that I think nowadays calls people to walk more. and It's cheaper than therapy. Oh, that's for sure. Much better. <laughs> and what are the, the other questions, you know, Rebecca, when you start walking the Camino, I guess the first one is accommodation and, you know, when to travel, when to walk the Camino, the time of the year. What are the other questions that you had or that you still have? Uh, yeah, it was definitely time of year for me. I'm not someone who loves the heat. Um, mm -hmm. So I was hoping to go in April, but unfortunately work um, didn't quite make that happen. Um, packing, packing was another one for me. Yeah, so conversations, countless conversations. Um, so I <laughs> oh yeah, I, I know that one. He's a bad. Yeah, thing you have when you're looking for gear, I, I keep adding things to my like. to to my Amazon list, and he's his fault. Yeah, I. That's one thing I do plan a lot is like gear, and I get a little obsessed by that. It's just a a through hiker thing, so not necessarily Camino related, Appalachian Trail or somewhere like that. You you think about every ounce, every gram. So let's go to the basis of the Camino, and and, that, and I know that a lot of people they they think of the Camino as a backpacking experience, but I will call it a different thing. I don't know what will be the name, but really there's no need. Like if you're walking the Appalachian or the or the PCT or you know the GR11, the Camino you have stores almost everywhere. There's no need to carry that extra max gear. So what are your top 10, you know, 
tips to walk on the Camino. And we're going to start with the backpack. How to choose a good backpack for the Camino de Santiago? Is that a question to me or Rebecca? To you, to you. I guess Rebecca will love to hear. I already hear She's probably sick of hearing this, but I think the no matter what backpacking trip you do, people always pack too much. So I would always say get a backpack a little bit smaller than you think because you're guaranteed to fill it up, and this way you'll be forced not to carry too much stuff. That's so how many liters for the Camino? A lot of people, they say 40, 35. Everyone, everyone's individual. I would, I definitely wouldn't go more than 40. I think mine is 25, so it's a little smaller. But That's a little yeah, too anything more than 40, you're carrying too much for sure. So. Yeah, I agree with you. I've settled at 35, and that's probably only been the good influence from, <laughs> <laughs> from Quentin. <laughs> um, as long as your pockets don't start bulging out the sides. I've seen people really? do that. And I, I cannot stand personally when things dangle from my backpack. It drives no, me. That's thing that, that's rule number one. No things dangling on your backpack. First of all, they destabilize you. They don't go well and, you know, it's bothering. They get stuck. So, no, everything is supposed to be in the backpack unless it's something that is getting, you know, dry out like a socks or oh, something. I, I think rule number one is if you're going to listen to music, don't blare it from a Bluetooth headset, a uh, Bluetooth oh, speaker. Yes. That's, that's mandatory. Music, please. If you like music, get your own headphones. No, no music for everyone else. And then I guess question number two is is shoes, gear. I'm like, what do you put in your shoes? Flip flops, uh, boots, sneakers, trainers, running. Druka, what are your thoughts about that? When you start researching, or didn't do much research, I'm like, you you hike, you run. I've tried a few um, different shoes, and I'm super fortunate to have access to podiatrists at where I work. So I often potter in with my latest shoes and he's like no no bring them back in a few months and he'll check out the tread and my foot and um so i was fortunate the second pair the brooks cascadia trail runners uh have been perfect for me and i'm done up to 30 kilometers in them and yeah no issues so i've been super lucky um so even today on the front you know it was it was 14 kilometers and people were had the paramedics there taping up their feet and blisters and I was like, people, come on, like, <laughs> make better choices. <laughs> so, um, but footwear is another thing that is, there's so many questions about it. It's a really hot topic and it's such an individual thing. I think you've just got to try a few different pairs, get them fitted properly. Um, and uh, the only other thing I'll be taking are flip-flops, which to me in Australia are the thongs. Um, so that'll be, that's it. That's all I'm taking. What were your thoughts? I'm a big trail runner. Uh, we, I use Brooks, Brooks Cascadia's now as well and want a bunch of other ones. But <clears throat> I think, like Rebecca said, it's kind of an individual thing. You pick what ends up working for you. But the one thing I think most people don't take into account is that the Camino is more of an urban hike than like a remote hike. There are some parts. So I think a lot of people come in bringing boots or shoes or something, expecting much more of a remote hike. And I did that on my first Camino. I wore boots, pretty lightweight boots, but I just didn't expect as much flat and as much kind of road walking or compacted gravel walking. So take that into account and then choose your shoes based on that, not assuming that it's a mountainous walk. I agree with you both. It's something so personal, but as a rule, boots that unless you have some ankle problems or something, or you're walking the Camino winter is a no-no. And I think something really important, like nobody has ever walked 25K for 30 days in your life. So go to a pediatrist, get your feet checked. and <laughs> Except for him. <laughs> yeah, unless weird people like this guy, but I got my insoles made and, and that make a big difference and, and try out different things. And like at the end, and if they don't work, you have many, plenty of stores or you have Amazon that you can change, but. And I know so many people I know so many people that will try and save $20, $30 on a pair of sneakers. And if you're going to spend extra money, do it on a backpack and a pair of shoes that fit you really well, because both of those are way cheaper than a chiropractor and getting knee surgery. Yes. I don't say anything right now. I'm like, there's so many brands as we, we, we mentioned in other podcasts. I'm like, there is plenty of different prices. If you go for anything that is not from this year, you get a really, really good price from any Brooks or any other big top brand. So if you look on, there's plenty of options to choose from. 
And I think just with backpacks, one, I don't think people get them sized properly, so you should always go yes. sized. Yep. And I think a lot of women don't realize there's different types of straps. You can get like a J strap or an S strap. Mm-hmm. So it's always look into those sort of things as well. I think people just go to REI or some equivalent outdoor store and get whichever one the the salesperson tells them to do it. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Indeed. And another question when we're talking about gear and it's getting more common and more common is walking sticks. Mm-hmm. Are we pro? Are we against? What are, what are you guys at? I'm not a fan. I just find they get in the way. I feel like a praying mantis. Like, it's just it's not <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I've almost been stabbed in the face as I'm coming up behind someone that's swaying them around. On, on the Camino, I don't think they need it at all. Like, from a like a safety perspective or a support, there are a handful of places where it might be handy more so going down than going up. Like, yeah. after like if you have any problems going down from, yeah, yeah. from the first day down into Rontes Valles and also Bredo and then Alto del Perdón, that will be, if you have any problems for sure, but other than that, and also if you're going to have walking balls, please put the, the little, you know, rubber Stop. things on on the bottom so we don't have to be the cling 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 yeah generally i'm not a big fan the only time i've ever used them is on appalachian trail because there's so much ups and downs on that would most people use them on the camino it's getting more and more often but i think you know as northern walking is getting more common and, and more people also they realize that for you know you can just put it in your backpack right now they're super light they're super cheap you have you know walking board from 10 euros up to as much as you want to expand, you know, Lockheed is really good brands. And, and they really say that they take about 20, 30% of their body weight from your knees and, and hips and stuff like that. But for me, it's like you say, for me, I don't even, I don't know. I always walk with my fingers here or, or holding my straps. So it's something I feel so weird. And, and they have a technique to walk and a lot of people, they don't know that. So it really, they is just walking weirdly. I'd say probably 60% carry trekking poles and then maybe another 10% have some type of walking stick that they've either bought somewhere along the way or found a stick and use. Um, so it's not uncommon for sure, but it just depends what you want to do with your hands. I stop and take a bunch of photos. So it's really annoying to put sticks down as well as take a camera out. So. Yeah. I tend to walk on the same. I don't know why the hands up here on the straps. So I don't know why I've just yeah always done it. And what other gear do you think is important to talk about? A lot of people they talk about the sleeping bag and in the times you are gonna be mixing hotels with albergues, that's uh, really tricky also depending on the time of the year. Yeah, I'm leaving uh, the 12th of May, I'll start walking. So I am a bit torn about the sleeping bag. Um, I think I'd prefer to have it and I can get it in my weight. Um, so, but I know That is absolutely another hot topic. Probably the hottest topic, actually, behind shoes is the sleeping bag, liners, bed bugs. I would always bring a sleeping bag on the Camino. Just, yes, in the middle of summer it gets kind of warm, so bring a a seasonal-based sleeping bag. But a lot of the albergues have, like, plastic sheets or plastic wraps around their mattresses. And if you're sleeping directly on that, it's, like, sticky and peels off. And, yes, you can bring a liner, but vast majority of abogates don't have blankets to share or at least enough to go around. And that's one of the things I will say is always a good investment. You know, if you're going to start on this walking wall, I'm like sleeping bags can get really cheap if you look for off season or for different years and you can get online at really, really good one. And even if you don't want to spend money, you can go to REI or the Cathlon and they, you can get one for like 20 euros. So it's not that, and they're not that heavy. And if you have the money and you think this is something that you're going to go, go invest in a good, you know, boots, backpack and a sleeping bag is always great things to have. They, they're not going to, going to get bad or anything. But yeah, if you're hiking always- in, if you're hiking in a warmer month, like you, you're going to do in May, coming into June, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a light sleeping bag because they're all light naturally. So. Yeah. So what other gear do you think we should cover? What is the What other gear do you have problems, Rebecca, when you start thinking about what to put on your backpack? Um. It's probably not too much else. Probably more as a, a female is the whole toiletries thing around like obviously probably not much of an issue for you guys, but around like what to carry as far as like shampoo and 
So it doesn't need shampoo at all. No, it's great. <laughs> Love it. My toiletry bag is literally like this big. I know. <laughs> I think it's only like two questions I haven't come to you with, and that was one of them as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, there is um, one of the actually the good forums I'm part of is the Kamegas, which is for women. Um, mm -hmm. Which is really, they're a really great community. They're so supportive. And um, so they've been super helpful. But yeah, knowing what to pack and then what you can kind of buy along the way. Um, and I am, I'm an overpacker by nature. So if there's any chance I might possibly need it, I want to put it in. So um, I haven't, I've been good, but that has been sort of my um, thing about how much you really need. And toiletries um, add up really quickly. Like yes, a lot of do. things you can save grams here and there, but toiletries add up very quickly. Yes, that's been my downfall. Yeah. I was doing so well. But I'm also have... really being a woman, I'm like, you, you start adding, you know, the shampoo, the conditioner, the whatever extra you need, and the lotions. And, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, do we need hair lipstick? Do we need all these face things? And you see people, I've seen people really carrying the, the whole thing, even, you know, the, the whole iron stuff oh, and crazy. hair dryers. I've seen people with all kind of gear. And really, at the end, it's up to you how much stuff do you want to carry. But the small little things, and if you've been just sleeping in a hotel every once in a while, you can get some pool refill or you can get a small bottle of some pool, the trouble things. But as Quinton was saying, I'm like, once you start getting, you can get up to half a kilo pretty easily and one up to as much as you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been my biggest debate because I've sort of got the clothing, got the shoes and the backpack sorted early, got the clothing, that's all fine. It has come down to the, the toiletries and the weight and yeah, working out exactly what I really do need and what I can leave behind. Well, right now, one of the big things that we are seeing here, you know, is the the soap, the the shampoo, but the 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 bar shampoo, you know, and that's yeah. kind of like easy because sometimes a lot of people the gel can get open on your backpack and they can be a big mess. I've seen also that kind of thing. So that's an option right now that you can buy almost everywhere. It doesn't weigh too much, and you know, it's really easy to carry. Yeah, absolutely. And people are using that for you know, soap, um, clothes washing, everything. So, yeah, so, definitely something I've looked at. I'll be honest, I don't bring soap or shampoo. I just find it at the elbow and use whatever I can along the way. Whatever is left there. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. But people leave it behind. There's always something there somewhere, and I'm a bit of a dirtbag backpacker, so I'm kind of used to that sort of stuff. But I do bring, and I was talking to uh, Jose Marie about this, I do bring a little thing of baby powder. Like you can use a little bit of baby powder, like freshen yourself up, make sure that like I put it on my feet every morning so I don't sweat and get blisters and things like that. And if for whatever reason you can't have a shower for a day or whatever, just a little bit of baby powder is the way to go. You know, and one of the things that I learned from backpacking, I have these little towels that you can, you know, just use as a, you know, as a, you know. and they're great if you one day you're just so sweaty or you need just to clean up in the middle of the Camino you have to run to the modern F bathroom and that's something that is going to happen one day I'm like there's bars everywhere but uh, and that's one of the other questions love what happened when you need to go do your own business in the Camino absolutely and I think as a female that's so much harder than males I feel gypped on this where do you but, hide I what do you do it... with that, Quinton? What is the trick? Oh, I'm a guy. I just the world is my urinal, so it's fine. But, but well, when you are talking about number two, that can happen also. I'm like, you know, oh, that little sure. coffee that you have in the morning. Yep. So I always take a little bit of toilet paper with me from an albergue every day and put it in my pocket. And for me, I'm the same. You know, I learned that from from running from marathons. I always have a toilet paper and one of those wet towels just in case, always in my backpack. And one of the things a lot of people complain the Camino, I'm like, that's going to happen. You know, the cool thing is normal to go poop in Mother Nature. There's no problem. Just get out of the way and try to cover, you know, your it. thing that's with drugs or whatever. Crazy. So people don't bury it. And I come from like a leave no trace on the trails here in in America and bury everything. Just do the right thing. 
Absolutely. And a lot of people, they talk about putting it into a bag and throwing it into a bin. And like, you don't need to go that far. I'm sorry. This, you don't need in Spain to carry your own shit. I'm like, this is not Antarctica. <laughs> Just cover it, get out of the way, you know, walk two, three minutes. So it doesn't smell because you will realize that sometimes the Camino, there's so, those, some of those places that you're like, I know what happens here. That has actually been one of my concerns is like, what do you do? And, um, But I think, as you said, you just got to walk away, find a spot and, yeah. Also, right now for women, they have these really, you know, gadgets for, for hikers that you can use. So it's one of the things that if you feel comfortable and you clean it once in a while, they are super light, they are like rubbery. And Yeah. I used to um, go to a lot of music festivals back in back in the day. And we, yeah, certainly used a lot. And um, <laughs> they're okay. They're probably not the, I don't know, it's a bit of an art. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other questions, you know, when you talk about the Camino de Santiago, and, and really mostly it's the Camino Frances is a big deal, is like the stages. Where does the, does the Camino have, you know, pre-stages? Can you walk as you want? Is there anything set up that I have to follow? Rebecca, would you start researching? What were your thoughts on like, uh, and I bet you have have time to read every blog post, every YouTube channel. Yeah, I actually had to stop. So I am a researcher, but it's, it was almost like, I don't know, paralysis from information and it just got too much. So I had to sort of find my ones that I really enjoyed and um, just stop because there's just so much information out there and everyone says different things. It's so hard to, to work out what's actually best for you. So I really wanted to um, just stop and just take more when I get there and just take it each day as it comes and yeah, do it that way. Cause I, I just, I was getting into too much planning. I was like, stop. That's the whole reason. One of the reasons you're doing this is to get away from that planning and structure. So the more information that came at me, the more I wanted to plan. And I was like, no, nah, it's stop. <laughs> what are your thoughts about this, Quinton? Couple of things, I guess that, I learned it depends a lot on if you're a like early morning riser. Like I'm usually up and out the elbow gate, but like six thirty at the latest. So I'm often going, but everyone stresses a lot about getting a bed at the end. And yes, that's real depending on where you are and the time of year. But I've never had a problem if I finish by like three o'clock at the latest, ideally two o'clock in the day. Because by then the albergues are just starting to open. You're not the last person to get there. So I would plan more about trying to finish mid-afternoon. You start to get in trouble if you're ending at like four, five, six o'clock. Then you might have issues. So I I would always just finish a little bit earlier, and I would probably stay away from like the the Briley stage end stage ends. And Briley is the the very popular kind of guidebook because vast majority of people follow that as the gospel and say, I must stop at this spot because that's what Briley says. Go one town further or one town less and you'll find half as many people. So. And one of the things I, you know, I learned with the, my first communion is that sometimes, as you said, at the beginning, you know, there's the preset stages that everybody follows because there's not really that many and you start to walk and you get those 20K and that's kind of like mandatory. As you start spreading, you know, through the communion, you have so many options that sometimes... For example, if you want to stay in Grañón, it leaves a little planning because it's not the average stage, so you have to break it a little bit. And also one of the things I realized when we would start walking, you know, we decided that for some of the big cities, because we didn't want to take a day off, what we did, for example, for Burgos or for León, we planned to stay like close enough, you know, the day prior so we can arrive really early and, and enjoy a full, kind of like a full day over there. And that's where you get, that's all the planning that I did. Other than that, it was just almost sometimes, as Quinton was saying, trying to avoid the main places because you get a more, you know, kind of like pilgrim vibe over there because it's only the weirdos that they don't follow or people that are going to, and you get a, like a smaller community. But the big places are, are good to stay, but sometimes they will, they're going to be overbooked. So if you don't start walking early by the time you arrive, it depends yeah, on the time of the year. You'll see a lot good. of people. There are some good towns like Legroño is a great place. The food's amazing, really nice. It's mm -hmm. compact enough that you can walk around everywhere. And then something like Hontanas, which is a tiny little Camino town, is just amazing. And I try and aim for a few places that I know I like, but depending on how far you're walking, like I don't plan it out that much. If I'm feeling good, I'll keep going. I know my longest day on the Camino was close to 60 kilometers because I was just enjoying the walk. And it's 
<laughs> wherever you feel like ending. So. I don't know anyone who could use the word enjoyment and 60 kilometers in that oh. same little sentence there. I was having so much fun and it was, <laughs> it was all weird as hell there. <laughs> it was also in the last hundred kilometers. So I was getting close to, I think it was um, Zofra or Azura, somewhere like that. And I don't really like that town. So I just kind of kept walking and I was having a good, good time. And that's another big question. You know, the last hundred K of the Camino de Santiago, what happened once you get there? You know, usually a lot of people, they, they talk, we have all these, oh, the no pellegrinos, the turigrinos, the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it gets a little, I don't know how was your feeling, but for me, it was, it was weird. You know, when you arrive there and you see all these people, my first Camino was during the summer. So it was kind of like strange. And at the time, we follow mostly the, the normal stages. Right now, I know myself better. And I know that this little village is in between that if you walk a couple K more or less, you are going to be feeling the same thing that in the, the Camino. I don't know how did you feel about the last 100 K. You. Uh, I agree. It does get pretty packed. Um, something like Saria, when you first come into it, is all these like high-rise buildings that are like for all the people that are starting that last hundred kilometers. You get to the center of town, and it's really beautiful, small, historic area. But they used to all the the new pilgrims used to bug the hell out of me because they're they're still finding their feet, and they're all they come in like big packs, but. Then I started looking at all their faces and I realized just how excited they are. And like, they're finally on their Camino. And once I realized how excited they are, yes, there's some groups of like kids and things like that, especially that play loud music or whatever it happens to be. But the vast majority are just so thrilled. Like they're, they literally in your way because they're looking around in amazement. And that got me past all of that. Also, the way that they look at you, you're like the cool guy, the, the yeah, guy that walks exactly. the whole Camino. You know, you walk the long distance. They, you are the one that smells. Your, your teaser already is kind of like, you know, your suits are already worn off. It's just funny, and, and, I, and I get both feelings. Sometimes it's annoying, but sometimes you have the best conversations ever because they want to get everything. Yeah. And I always say, you know, don't call those the, the last 100K. Call them the first 100K because a lot of those people will go and, and walk the Camino again. Mm. For sure. And it's just fascinating to see they've got like shiny new gear and they still smell nice and they're not like sunburned and everywhere. And you, I guess you feel a bit more legitimate because like you've walked all the way. And another big question sometimes in the Camino is food. You know, what do you do with food in the Camino? And you, everybody talks about this communal meals. Everybody talks about, you know, tapas in Spain. Everybody talks about, you know, cooking in the albergues. Now that COVID is gone, we are back to normal life. So how did you manage in your Camino when you were walking? Uh, first and foremost, I, I ate everything. It's, the food is so cheap and so good and there is so much of it. Um, I didn't cook very much. There's only a handful of times that I can remember. Uh, and it's usually if I've met a couple of people and we went to the supermarket and bought things together. But I don't know. I like the talking with the locals and they'll make local food that tastes different to what I would have at home. Yes, it gets a little bland and boring after a while having similar things, but I don't know. I like to support the local community. So I'll, I'll go out and eat a pilgrim menu or something almost every night. What are your thoughts about food, Rebecca? I'm pretty easy going as well with um, food. So it's not really something I'm too concerned about. Um, and everyone sort of talks about amazing things they've found. And um, I've forgotten the name of the cake. Tata de Santiago? Yeah. Oh, good. Tortilla. Tortilla de patatas. Everybody um, talks about it. Everybody who's been. So. Tortilla think, or the, the tate? Oh, I don't know. Can't is it a sweet one or like a breakfast? The sweet one, the sweet. Yeah, and you know what is the message thing? It's not really that good, but I guess the feeling when you get to Santiago is one of those memories that you have, like you know, put a hundred times better, much better than what it is. And I have it once in a time, and it's good, but it's one of those like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I would rather have carrot cake or cheesecake or. And I definitely noticed the closer you get to Santiago, the better it tastes. And maybe it's because you've walked all that way, or I think yeah. it's less store-bought and more homemade because it's more like Galician or something, I guess. One of the things that I think is mandatory, you know, if you're a foodie and also if it's, this is one in a lifetime that you've been planning and, and you have the money, give yourself a treat every once in a while, you know. Thank God in Spain we have an amazing cuisine. We have all these incredible restaurants. 
And if you like it, you know, it's worth giving yourself, a, you know, a star Michelin every once in a while. And the price compared to anywhere in the world, I'm like, we're talking to going to a one star Michelin can be 150 euros. If you go to anywhere in, you know, in the world, in LA or in Australia, I bet it can be much more than that. And if you like it, the only thing if, you know, it's going by yourself might be a little weird to go to this kind of restaurants. <laughs> but if you're a food person, I'm like, you're going to have an incredible time everywhere you know the food changes so much from the Pyrenees all the way to Santiago the, the dishes they are so different try local food you know enjoy try to avoid sometimes the menu del peregrino and ask around because sometimes it's really a big scam you know they will give you pasta and, and chicken and and sometimes if you go to an ex-bar they don't have menu del peregrino but they will give you a really good menu for the same price but food here in Spain is you know one of the things I guess you know food wine and beer we're really proud of and it's a part of the Camino also. Absolutely. The, and everyone says how amazing it is. And if something's going to upset people, it's it's food. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It does really become exciting. a little bland and beige after a while. Like it's always brown. But if you go off the, the pilgrim menu, there's plenty of others. But always get the pimientos. That's always my, my rule. So. <laughs> we'll follow your journey. And don't worry, Rebecca, I will wait for you here in Pamplona and, and we'll discover the good places. Not like this guy. He always runs from Pamplona. That's because I'm there at like 8 a.m. in the morning. So it's going to walk 60 k's. He's going to go quick. <laughs> it's just distance-wise. Pamplona is always like first thing in the morning. So. And it's true for a lot of people. I, I right now it's getting you know more common to take a day off in Pamplona, but mostly the pilgrims when they start walking, you know, you're getting into that Camino vibe. And at the beginning, I always say, you know, we always start the same. We are just in a rush to get the feeling to feel the Camino. And mm. Pamplona's day three. I'm like, I'm 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 all on my way. So, but. If you have the time, it's a pretty cool place to stop. And, and not because I live here, but it is really, there's yes, a lot of things to see and different. And one of the things that brought me to this, a lot of times people talk about, you know, sending your backpack ahead. We talk about that. And also skipping places or taking a taxi. What do you think about this, Rebecca? Have you thought about sending your backpack or have you thought about maybe skipping the meseta or taking a taxi one day? No, I'm the kind of person, if I'm doing something, I'm I'm doing it all. So I definitely, obviously, if there's an injury or something, I'm open to it, but I don't plan on skipping anything. Um, and I also want to keep my pack with me um, as much as I can, just to have that freedom to be able to stop where I want to. Um, I actually did sustain a shoulder injury a couple of months ago, um, which I was really worried about carrying the pack, but I changed to a different pack and it's it's been fine so uh, it's definitely something i'd consider if i needed to but would prefer not to well once you get rid of your 10 kilograms of toiletries you'll be fine <laughs> hey, well, what are your seven. thoughts about this quinton about escaping or, or sending your backpack ahead i think everyone has to walk their own camino or hike that's first and foremost i would Anyone that I talk to, I would definitely say try not and like skip big stages like the Meseta, I think is really beautiful for its own reasons. It's hard, but it's beautiful. But if you have to catch a taxi or whatever, do do you, that's fine. Um, and I've never done it, but I always see people shipping their backpacks. And I think if you're having a hard day or something, go ahead and do it. Like you're still walking the same distance. Like it's not going to be less authentic if you do anything like that um rebecca made a good point though if you ship your backpack you're committing to staying somewhere at a certain town yeah. so that's probably the negative and side that's of what it. They, you know a lot of people they, they love the backpacks in an albergue or something and, and that's not fair for the albergue if you're not going to stay there then sometimes yeah. it's right. also sending your backpack puts you to those stages but as you were saying if you have to do it it's your own camino i'm like you're the only one a lot of people they say cheating and like who are cheating is you're just cheating to yourself and i hope so people that send their backpack, you know, ahead or even take a taxi and they save their Camino and really they save their injuries. And some other people that decided no to and that, you know, messed up the whole Camino. But it's up to each one. And there's a term in like the through hiking community here called slack packing, which is when you do a section without a backpack. And I would I would always suggest that like if you're running short of time, don't take a taxi and skip somewhere, slack pack and ship your bag ahead so you can do a double day or a double stage or something like that. So you're still walking something, and seeing everything. 
So something that I mentioned to a couple of my clients, you know, they don't have the time to do the call Camino Frances, but they want to experience. And some of them, what they did, they walked the first part of the Camino, you know, like from the Pyrenees up to the Meseta walking, then did the Meseta by bike, you know, by a mountain bike, and then catch up and get start walking again. And that's something different. I wouldn't do it for myself, but I think it's a cool idea if you really want to experience the whole way and get the, the vibe of the what is biking, what is walking the Camino and get, you know, the best out of both. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Although biking doesn't sound much fun to me. No. For me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a packer. And I, saw, I don't even know how to walk without a backpack. For no, you know, even if I go on a day walk, I carry my backpack because I don't know to walk without something on my back. It just feels weird. So if I was a psychologist, you have fears about abandonment? I guess. <laughs> I feel hugging old when I was a child. But it is something strange when you, especially if you're doing like long distance hikes and you walk around town and something feels like you're missing or you're not leaning forward because you don't have that weight that you're so familiar with. I know that you have a bigger weight on your back. I'm like, you have what, five kilos? Five yeah. Getting five kilos now. I'll have to get it less. Five kilos. That's that's for the next podcast. And Rebecca, what other questions, what other worries do you have, you know, right now that your Camino is almost there? Yeah, I think as a as a female traveling alone, you do have um, some safety concerns. Um, you just feel a bit more vulnerable, I think, being on your own. Um, and, of course, you know, you hear some of the, the horror stories, and I'm sure it's they're one in a million stories, but... They, you just hear it's them. One in a million, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's there. Yeah, that's right. I'm and... oh, sorry. Oh, one of the things that right now with the Camino, you know, in the last years happens, and, and I always recommend everyone is like, if you're, you know, your mobile plan, it's really expensive. Usually here in Spain, for 15 euros, 20 euros, you can get a really good uh, plan. And right now there is an, uh, first of all, there is police in the Camino. They're undercover police, you know, in the Camino, and the Camino is full cover with police also. And there is an app that is called Alert Cops that is, you know, just to advise, you know, anything that happened in the community, if you see it, if it happens to you. So it is really good to get installed as soon as you get in Spain, because that will connect you to the police, to the fire department and to everyone. And really important to know that here in Spain is no 911, is 112, and that will get you connected to anything you need. But the good thing of the community front is like you are four or five kilometers away from any town the longest. I don't think there's any day that there is a longer distance to a big town or a small village. Yeah, absolutely. And it, look, there's probably no greater danger than being walking around the streets of Melbourne by yourself. I think you just feel when you're in a foreign country, you know, it, you just feel that little bit more vulnerable um, traveling mm-hmm. alone. But, and I yeah. think definitely for women, it's it's going to be different no matter what. But so many people when they travel forget their common sense that they would at home. Like, don't put headphones on and walk around and not listen to the world around you and not know someone's coming up behind you. It doesn't matter if you're on a trail or in a big city, but the Camino, I've never experienced anything, but people being friendly and open for sure. So. Usually it's the opposite. People taking care of each other. You know, I think the, in my first Camino, I lost my wallet like two times. I'm like the guy that brought me my wallet, paid for my lunch and like people, you know, pushing each other, giving each other, I see someone giving someone else 200 euros. We don't know when if they're going to get it back. And that's the kind of like camaraderie you see in the Camino Santiago. Absolutely. And you hear a hundred or a thousand more stories like that than any bad stories. So it's not a huge concern. One of the things that when we talk about safety, and I know you, Quinton, you say already you're an early racer. A lot of people, they, they complain about the people that would like to walk in the morning. For me, it's not about the running and getting fast into town. It's like, I really like to walk and down and see the sun rise when I'm walking because I, that's a, such a peaceful time and it's lovely. But in terms of safety, you know, we've seen the community and tell sometimes that people, well, there was a couple of stories of someone that can run by a car. So I don't know if you carry any lights or something reflecting when you walk in the morning. I always have a, a headlamp for sure and uh, my backpack has some reflective strips on. Um, but it's also a reason why I much prefer to hike early in the year, like April, May, because the sun comes up earlier by September, August. The sun doesn't come up till 8 o'clock. So I've been walking three hours in the dark and it's not necessarily about the safety aspect there. I just walk for like... 12, 15 kilometers, and I have not seen a single thing on the landscape. So it's, yeah, I'll always bring a headlamp, without a doubt, bring a headlamp on the Camino. So. What time does the sun rise, right May? Maybe around I six. I will say probably six-ish, six, seven, between 6.30-ish. But I will say, you know, if you're going to carry a light, I'm like, sometimes I hate people walking in the morning with a headlamp because that usually blocks your the distance that you can see. For me, you know, I'm really used to hiking the mountains, so I'm really used, and I get some people really fell 
that they need the light, but I will suggest a small red light on your backpack so people can see you and cars can see you in the morning. If you're an early racer, that's you know super cheap and that will help a lot in case of, because sometimes you go really close to, to you know, roads so you have to close the roads and if you have something reflecting also that helps and like you don't really need you know like any big thing but something like that will be really helpful but sunrise when you're hiking is just the best you have the yeah, whole world yourself and it the world is coming awake it's the best time the okay. smell the feeling everything is no, and that will be one of the things sorry i will say you know when you go to othebrero Othebrero in the morning, Othebrero at sunset, Othebrero at sunrise. Um, Othebrero, no, sorry, Cruz de Ferro. Mm-hmm. I, every time I've done Cruz de Ferro, I've got there at like 6 a.m. in the morning. So it's always been dark or just past sunrise. Um, so I, I prefer it in the sunrise for sure, because I usually stay either at um, Astorga or I can't remember the small town about halfway between near where the cowboy bar is yeah that's the perfect place to stay if you want to really you know stay in Cruz de Ferro and that's one of the places that for example you have to plan if you want to see the sun rising Cruz de Ferro and that's sometimes something like Finisterre you know sometimes you go there and there's so much fog and that you don't see anything but if you get one of those open days and you see the sunrise over there it's incredible yeah, oh, can't wait <laughs> and Rebecca, another big question when it comes to playing the first Camino. Are you going to keep on walking to Finisterre and Musia or? I, I'm hoping to. I'm just not sure time-wise how um, it will go. It was the original plan. Um, if I've got enough time, absolutely. I, I grew up on the beach. The water is my happy place. And for me, that will feel like a complete ending um, of the walk for me. But there's always time to go back and do that another time if if I feel I still need to do that and I haven't got time this time. And what do you think, Quinton? First Fisterra and then Musia, first Musia, then Fisterra. Yes. We've had this discussion a bunch of times. I, I know, Will was going to keep it coming. It's one of those <laughs> big fights of the Camino. Who do you love more, Daddy or...? I, I, like, I like doing... Um, Musha first and then finishing in Fistera because I can walk all day with the the sun and the the ocean on my side. But Fistera is kind of a bit more of a party place, so it's a nice, easy way to get back to Santiago. Musha is very kind of solitary and a little bit more introspective, and I don't like to leave on that too much of an introspection note. I'd prefer to, like... For whatever reason, for me, the lighthouse at Vistera is the end. And once I can kind of like touch that lighthouse, then I feel like I've finished. And that's a good question you were saying, Roga. Sometimes people don't have the time. And, you know, I always mention if you want to visit, it's, there's many buses that go to Vistera or Musia, and that's another option. Mm-hmm. You can just go there and walk, for example, from Vistera to Musia. And if you want to finish on a big note, you know, if it's there, you're going to stay at the lighthouse. They have like five rooms over there, and it must be incredible. Mm-hmm. And if you want to finish on a more other big, you know, and in Musia, they just open the, usually paradors here in Spain, they're kind of like all buildings and stuff, but in Musia, they open a parador that is brand new with a spa and it is incredible. So if you want to give yourself some, you know, well-deserved, relaxed end day, you have an amazing place to stay and the food over there is yes, if you like seafood, you know, nothing better than going to Musia. But don't rush out of Santiago either. Like I, no. one of my favorite things is stay a few days and every, <clears throat> excuse me, every morning, just hang out in the square and watch all the pilgrims come in. It's just the best experience. That is without doubt the best thing. You see the faces and it's like reviving your coming into Santiago. And I think I will wait and just see how I feel. I know. Um, I remember we've had a conversation about this before and you were saying you knew on your first one you were done that you, yeah. you didn't need to keep going yeah yeah i just didn't want to get out of the camino bubble i just wanted to stay there and i didn't need to go any further this was where i had to be just soak it up yeah and i don't know if there's anything any other questions that we need to cover but i think we cover mostly all of the first you know camino questions no i'm i'm just so excited for you like this has been like I said, I still chase my first experience and helping you through it is, is been so much fun for me. Oh, it's been amazing. And 
I've gone back and read your book if, like recently as well. And um, yeah, we actually did like, I have my little guidebook out and we did like a virtual, you were saying before, a virtual Camino. So every day I'd be like, oh, I'm in this town and Quinton would be like, I'll oh, stay here or don't stay here. Check this out. Um, and it was so amazing. We got me so excited and I'd love to every day I'd have the book out and checking where I'm up to and Googling pictures. It's yeah, it's been really, you're going to have really amazing. As well as that, it's amazing. You know, I think it, Quinton has the same experience when you help another pilgrim or you know, with a future pilgrim, you get all pumped up, you know, it's this feeling of the Camino that you don't really need to even to walk the Camino. Like right now, just talking to you, it feels like I'm so excited of your Camino. That is, it's, it's incredible. I'm like, what this gets to do to people. It is so exciting. And everyone you talk to or I say what I'm doing, they're like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And, you know, can't wait to hear all about it. And people are thinking about doing their own. And I think, gosh, that's before I've even been. Imagine what I'll be like when I get back and telling anyone who'll listen <laughs> about the adventures. I think once you get back, we'll have to do this interview again and see, if, you know, if the Camino was everything you plan, if we were mistaken in any way and, you know, so hopefully we will in some of the things because at the end that's the beauty of the Camino there's only one Camino and it's yours and that's what I hate when people start saying that it, there's only one kind of Camino one kind of zoo one kind of place to stay and like no that's the beauty of the Camino Santiago there is one for everyone and it doesn't matter absolutely it's your I'll Camino be, I'll be interested to see if you're still talking to me afterwards or if you're like why the hell did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I will find you if I have to <laughs> I'll hunt you down <laughs> Why didn't you talk me out of this? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for both of you to taking the time. And uh, we always say, you know, Rebecca, buen camino, ultrella. Thank you. <laughs>